Welcome to the fifth episode of the Tech Travels podcast. I'm Ian Horn. I write CityWire's Tech Travels column and host the regular fintech forums. In this podcast, I'm going to explore something that I personally find really fascinating, which is behavioral finance. I'm going to look at where technology can help people to make investment and planning decisions. So with that in mind, I'm delighted to welcome Neil Beige, who is Director of Behavioral Insight at tech solutions firm BIQ, and also Chief Behavioral Officer at financial advice firm Murphy Wealth. Firstly, Neil, welcome to the podcast. I'm going to start with a question for you, which is one of the lovely questions. It's kind of two questions wrapped up in one. Uh, you've got some fantastic job titles, by the way. I've got to, I've got to give some plaudits for that. That's, that's great. And I know a lot of your listeners will know who you are, but can you tell us a bit more about what you do? And also, you know, in the last week or so before recording this, we've seen the madness with kind of GameStop and AMC, you know, the meme stocks. So why is behavioral finance so important? Well, first off, thank you for having me. Um, I, you know, I love these conversations. Um, so a potted history, I guess, of, of Neil Beige. I, I've had a long time fascination. Um, I studied to be a PE teacher and I've had a long time fascination with two things, sports psychology and human biology. And, and, I've, and those two things have always fascinated me, how the brain can have an impact on who we are and how we navigate the world, but how we can also have an impact on our physiology, our, our, our well-being, if you like. And... I, that passion has never left me. You know, if I look to, to my left and my books, they're all about the human brain. And, and, and so I'm fascinated with how the brain works and, and, and what it does. But I'm also fascinated by the shortcuts and the, the you know, the heuristics and the, and the filters or the biases that occur in our unconscious mind that actually end up driving a lot of the decisions that we make. And so working in financial services for quite a while, it became apparent to me that the way we engage with clients just is too kind of, What's the word I'm looking for? A rubbish, I guess, is the word I'm thinking of. It's kind of, you never really get to understand the person, yeah. really. We, get, we, do a, we do a know your client piece of work, and it doesn't really get to know the client at all. It gets to know their name, their date of birth, their national insurance number, and all that mm -hmm. stuff. Doesn't get to know the person. And then we ask that person to make important decisions, financial decisions, that could have a fundamental impact on their, their, their well-being in the future. Mm -hmm. without factoring in the person and so i kind of thought i want to do something about this there's got to be a way of doing mm -hmm. something about this and so i start working with a couple of universities and and looking at how can we bring this to life how can we draw out of a person's unconscious mind um, what's going on in there and lay it bare in black and white for them to see it's kind of like you know a, a little bit like that film with tom cruise um I, I can't remember which one it is when they can predict crimes in the future. It's like kind of yeah. doing that and having something on the minority report, having something on the board in front of us that actually is, is what's going on inside of our heads. And we can kind of go, okay, if I know that that's not brilliant, I can do something about this. And if I know that if I'm highly loss averse, right. Okay. I can deal with that. I suffer with probability neglect. I can deal with that. But the reality is you can't deal with that because we don't know what it is. And so I went about building, a research program that kind of figured out how we could test for these things, how we could reveal mm -hmm. unconscious behavioral biases in people, and ultimately landed on a way that worked after much trial and error. And then the, the next question was, well, what do you do with this? And the, uh, the obvious answer was, build this into a tech solution so that yeah. we can put this in the hands of every single person who wants it in their hands. And so we built, a, we, we built that into a, a, a free mobile app called Beam, 
and and beam basically allows you just to go through a series of games and reveal your unconscious behavioral biases and that's what i that's what i've been doing with biq and then running parallel to that i've been working on how we apply behavioral finance to the conversations we have with clients through my work at murphy wealth and you know murphy wealth are a, a proper cutting edge bleeding edge financial planning business they are taking the way that we engage with people um, and transforming it in ways that absolutely play to, to, to right into my heart. It's all about the human first and the money and everything else comes second. So every conversation starts with a understand the client, their family, their life, their dreams, their aspirations, all of the, their hopes and fears and anxieties. You know, who is this person that we're dealing with? The money, mm-hmm. we can deal with the money. That's the easy bit. But getting to the heart of who the human is, is the hardest bit. And that's and so that's what my work at Murphy, Murphy Wealth it, it, um, is doing. And then finally, yeah. to answer your last question, why is behavioral finance so important to understand? You only need to just re- replay your question to me to understand exactly why. <laughs> Look at what's happened in the last few weeks. And it, it is pretty obvious why we need to understand what motivates and drives people and what goes on in their unconscious minds when they make these absolutely bonkers decisions to follow what everybody else is doing put you know, huge amounts of their life savings into a stock because everybody else is trying to, is forcing its price up and then watch it plummet and lose everything you own you know it's wholly behavioral and behavioral science has lots of answers for why that behavior is there yeah i mean fascinating stuff and loads loads that we will go back into actually um neil i want to start with the bmap because you know you, you've mentioned it to me before i've downloaded it i've been through it uh, it's really good fun actually just looking at your various biases and and you know it's not the ones that you're aware of that are perhaps interesting it's the things where you realize you, you have biases you weren't aware of and mm. you know besides the fact i would say my general profile as a person having having done all the questions is, is relatively boring i think i'm a pretty typical bloke in his early 30s um i, I still think it's really worthwhile for to go through um beam and look at what they're doing and, and looking at how they might spend money save money invest and borrow so you know what, what was the main goal with with beam you know and, and why was it important to make it an app as well because i think interface is something we, we probably need to discuss in more detail you know why couldn't this have just been a questionnaire because questionnaires are boring and people want to use the, <laughs> uh, yeah. they want to use the yeah, pen right. they're filling yeah. them out with to to poke their eyes out you know it's like mm-hmm. the dullest exercise ever um you know if somebody just says to you in ian i need you to fill out 25 questions you gotta oh you lose the will to live before you've even started question one. Yeah, of course. So, yeah. so, so, so the secret is, and, and my business partner, my co-founding business partner of BIQ, Mike Free, always says, said a phrase to me which really resonated with me. And it was about the length of questionnaires. He said, you should never ask how long a questionnaire is. You should always ask how long it feels. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's, that kind of plays to the idea of gamification and taking questionnaires, but building them in a way that feels fun, engaging, and, you know, and it, then it doesn't matter if we ask 20 questions, it's all about the experience and the way that I engage with the app. And if it's built up in little bite-sized chunks and, and little micro learning parts, you know, it, it makes it much easier for me to engage. That's why it had to be an app. And that's mm. why it didn't need, it couldn't be yet another questionnaire that we asked the client to fill out because gee, my, there's just so many of them, you know, that we asked them to fill out. and. To, to your first question, what, what is it we wanted to get out of it? You've kind of summarized it in what you said about your own experience. Mm-hmm. You know, th- it's those, oh, moments. Yeah. Or, oh, my God, I didn't know that. Or that's why, 
you know, because what, what it does is it lays bare in, in I, I say in black and white, but the reality is it's in beautiful multicolor. Um, what's going on in a person's unconscious brain? And it is notoriously difficult to reveal that stuff in a meaningful and engaging way that people can learn from, but also give them a framework to make better decisions from. So it's not an app that says, this is who you are, and therefore this is what you should do. It's mm -hmm. not one of them, because we, we, we aren't, it's, it's not a kind of a, you know, a paternalistic type um, approach we've taken. What we've taken is a, an approach of inform people of who they are. Never ever make them wrong. Because that's the reality of being a human, right? People often say, oh, you're irrational or, oh, these are really bad behaviors. But you know what? I always take a bit of a, a kind of a bone, of, I have a bone of contention about this because we are all human beings. We are all trying our hardest to make the best decisions we possibly can. Yes, sometimes they don't turn out as well as we would have hoped, right? Mm -hmm. And yes, sometimes we do make stupid decisions but we don't wake up in the morning and think, I think I'll make a bad decision today. Or I think, I'll, I think I might, and in the afternoon, I'll follow that up with a stupid decision. We don't do that at all. We wake up and we try our hardest to make do the best things that are right by us. And that's because a lot of that's driven by our unconscious bias. So the idea behind Beam is to reveal those kind of aha moments, but also say to people, just accept this is who you are. This is what's going on in your unconscious mind. Use this as a framework to start to make better decisions, to realize that at times you may need to pause. At times, you may need to seek the help of a professional. At times, you're completely fine to do what you're going to do. But just accept that these things are going on in your mind. They will drive your decisions. And all we care about is giving you, is arming you with the tools to make the best decision possible. Yeah, and I think that's really interesting. I, I want to ground it back in the the tech side of things again because, you know, you, you were talking about the um, not how long something takes, how long it feels. I think that's a really good point. And you know, gamification is massive. I mean, you've only got to go back a year or so. I, I've no idea if people are still doing this, but you had people that were spending money on like Farmville to level up, mm. or doing mm. you know, or harvesting imaginary crops because it was just like a routine you can get into, which I, it, it baffles <laughs> yep. me. But, you know, millions of people did it. You've also got computer games where the game itself might be quite fun, but it might require you to spend hours, you know, killing swamp monsters repetitively, or again, <clears> like picking up flowers or something so you can level up and do the next thing, which is mad. Yep, but, yep. but but psychologically it works. So you know, have you taken any inspiration from say the gaming industry? You know, are there any things you look at outside of the financial services world and think, wait a second, if we can only get people to engage with their, you know, their financial advice or their wealth management in the same way they do an imaginary farm, you know, what could be achieved? Yeah, and the answer is absolutely. We, we take our inspiration from all walks of life around the gamification point. I mean, we're fortunate that, again, going back to, to mentioning, mentioning him again, but, you know, my co-founder, mm -hmm. um, fellow, fellow director, Mike Free, is... I've worked with many people who are creative and visual, but he, he he's off the charts. This guy is an, an amazing visionary on how we should, as an industry, engage with, in inverted commas, the man on the street, right? Woman on the street, person on the street, let's be PC. Um, he, he just has a vision like nobody I've ever worked with before. And, and he kind of looks at the, he takes the principles of gamification, the leveling up, the, the, you know, the, the picking the crops, feeding the pigs on time, otherwise they're going to die. All of these things actually are, root, are deep rooted in psychology. And, and when we've designed the games in Beam, he doesn't want, he, he never wanted them to feel like a questionnaire. 
He never wants them to feel like a test, but he wanted to in invoke this feeling of achieving something as you were going through them. But at the same time, challenging your kind of your gray matter to really think at the same time. So yes, oh, this the double negative here, but you, you don't get badges. You don't need to level up. Mm -hmm. But actually, the experience of going through a multi-step kind of gamified approach just keeps people engaged. And I can give you some real feedback on this. Yeah, one of our do. clients, one of our clients, has put tens of thousands of people through a process where where the beam experience sits in the middle, and it's kind of bookended by their experience that they've built. And what they've done is they've tracked the engagement levels of each step. And the only step where the, res where the engagement scores are off the charts is the beam section. And by that, I mean, their kind of their um, engagement levels are, are relatively low and the engagement levels for the beam app are, are in the high 90s. Mm -hmm. And what the feedback is from people is, this doesn't feel like a financial services thing. And then you've, we've seen people on videos playing the games and kind of going to, to the people who are running the research you know, don't talk to me. I'm thinking about something, you know, and they get immersed in it. And the reason, one of the reasons why is because we're talking about them. And we're talking yeah. about them in a way that they recognize because it's a, we, we, it's a human to human um, exchange. You know, so the gamification principles are absolutely crucial. And I'll say one more point on this and then I'll shut up. But <laughs> a, 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 bug, a, a real bugbear of mine on gamification in this industry, in particular financial services, is people think, that if you take a questionnaire that exists and you turn it into an infographic-y, flashy piece of whatever, but the questionnaire is still a questionnaire, that's gamification. And that absolutely is not gamification. Gamification goes back to your opening question. You know, look at the way that game apps are built. Look at the way they engage people. Look at the way they want to click. You know, it's those principles that we need to bring into financial services to engage people on the really important subject of money. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so what happens when we bring an advisor or a wealth manager into this? Because, you know, you've got another person into the process who has their own biases too. You know, I guess there's two right. questions. You know, one is exactly that really. One question is, you know, how do you control your own biases um, and make sure that you actually act in accordance with what the client wants? And I think the second side to it is what do advisors and wealth managers need to be looking out for? Are there particular behavioral traits that should be, maybe red flags is the wrong word, but or wrong term, but, but things to look out for? Um, great question. So I always say to every advisor I ever come across in relation to Bean, um, you should do this yourself. You should absolutely learn about your own mm -hmm. behavioral biases because they, they, they unfortunately, influence the way that they deliver advice you know it, it, you, you can't help it you don't do it on purpose it's just the way that in this human to human interaction our unconscious mind processing roughly around 80 to 90 percent of all of the information unconsciously can't help but you know influence the way that we we, um, we give that advice so we always say to advisors do beam yourself and actually more importantly look at your answers and compare them to the person who's about to come into the room and if you know, for example, that they are highly susceptible to framing bias. Now, framing bias is where we make a decision based on how information is presented to us as opposed to really the, the, the facts, the, the, the full information that is there. So, you know, it, it, you look at a yogurt that says 80% fat free, 
we go, brilliant, that's good. If we saw another yogurt that said contains 20% fat, yeah. you kind of go, oh, that's not very good. You know, so the way information is presented really matters to us. Now, if an advisor knows for a fact that a client is highly susceptible to framing bias through the BMAP, but they're not, then there is a natural tendency for them just to assume that, you know, let's write on here, oh, the, the, the annual return of this is whatever, um, and, and this is what you expect to get out of this in the future. And they, they will frame it in a particular way because it doesn't impact them. But when the client reads that information, they will be highly impacted by how you have framed certain phrase, sentences, the way you frame your words. So once you're aware that this client is highly susceptible to framing, I can start to change the way I engage with them, the way I speak to them, what information I present to them. And it makes sure that they, that client absolutely is on the same page, on the page that I need them to be on and not off in some unconscious other world thinking of things that don't really exist. So, you know, the, the BMAP is there to give the advisor an insight into who's walking in their room. And, yeah. and, and if, if those biases that the client is exhibiting are different to the client, to the advisor, the advisor just needs to be aware that they shouldn't let their biases drive the conversation. They should absolutely be doing all they can to make sure that the clients can be get to a place where they can make the best decisions possible. Mm-hmm. And, and to build on, on on this kind of thing, how often do you need to revisit behavioral quizzes? Because you know, when I was taking the uh, you know the, the beam questions, I, I was it kind of came into my head how differently I'd answered things ten years ago. So even just the way you look at things, so there might be uh, you know if you were the, the wheel, for example, where on one side you know it's split in half. And on one hand, yeah. you win seventy pounds, but if it goes in the other half, you lose thirty pounds. Now, you yeah. know the sensible thing is, yeah, I'll, I'll take those odds because it's in my favour. Well, that was, that was my viewing of it anyway. But I, yeah. I kind of think back to when I was maybe seventeen or eighteen, I didn't have much money. I, I, yeah. I probably wouldn't have done it because if that goes wrong, Neil, that's five hours I've got to work <laughs> in the co-op, and I'm not up for that. I really didn't want yeah, to do that. Yeah. So. <laughs> you know, do we have to do these things frequently? And, and how do you account for cultural things too? I mean, you know, I remember a phone call we got from my uncle a while back, proud Yorkshireman. He was a mm. bit unhappy because his local pub had raised the price of a pint to above two pounds. Now you can only imagine, <laughs> you can only imagine how that felt to me in Brixton, you know. Exactly. Uh, no, yeah, God, I'd like to say I remortgaged, you know, the house for, you know, for a pint, but you can't bloody afford a house here anyway, so forget that. Um, you know, how, how do you take these differences into account and, and how frequently do you need to update your kind of profile on this? A lot, a lot of this kind of plays back to the nature and nurture conversation, right? Because we, 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 we have our natural um, reactions and feelings towards things, but then mm. there are other things that we learn as we go through life and, 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 they are obviously hugely valid in this discussion that we're having today. So nature, nature and nurture play a really important role. Now, what's interesting about the games that we built within the BMAP is that, you know, you said to me then, I, I was sitting there and I was thinking, oh, I, I wouldn't do that if I was 17 because the odds were this and I'd done away from the co-op and yeah. now I would. But that is a conscious thought that you mm-hmm. had. But remember, before that even arrived in your head, 80% of the decision that you ended up making was already made for you in your unconscious mind. And a lot of that is to do with our affective system, in other words, how we feel. And and because it's unconscious, what happens is we have this thought arriving in our head, which is already influenced by our unconscious thought processes and behavioral biases. 
And then what we tend to do through, through, um, through nurture, through our experiences, is we then kind of go, ah, yes, but. You know, and, oh, actually, that's not a good thing to do, is it? Because I've learned through school and education that mm -hmm. we should save money, we shouldn't gamble. And, and, and we start to use our, our, the way we've um, been nurtured by society, our education systems, to quantify or not whether the decision is the right one. Yeah. So there's a psychologist I work with, which uses two very uses two phrases, making decisions and taking decisions. And it's really interesting, you know, and what you ended up doing was you ended up taking a decision, but the making of the decision had already happened in your unconscious mind. So, you know, yes, we can, you know, our nature just kind of gives us these natural feelings and these natural responses to the way that we engage with something, but then our education our society schooling life we have our, our experience of spending money saving money earning money um, all plays its part in the ultimate decision that we end up taking and therefore what we say to people is actually if, if the majority of this is kind of um, uh, natural to us it's part of our nature then we shouldn't need to really retest this every week or every month but what we should do is every time there's a significant event in life whether that's a, a marriage, a divorce, a job loss, a child being born, whatever, we should just say to people, just go through the games again. Mm -hmm. Because what happens is that kind of experience could have an impact on how they end up taking the decision, if, if you like. So, so we, we just say to people, you know what, as long as if, you, if you're seeing engaging with clients once a year, then brilliant, just go through this with them again. Unless there's a significant life event, then you should maybe just engage with them just to see if, everything is still on track. But the beautiful thing about being a human being is we adapt to our environment around us really quickly. You know, mm. we, we, we are constant works in progress. And, and we, you know, we're born like that and we die a work in progress still. You know, and the mistake that we often make is to think that we're a finished article and we're not. We're always mm. learning, always evolving, you know, always adapting. And therefore, when, what I say when I stand up at conferences around the world is when you have a behavioral profile, don't think that that's it, book closed, done and dusted. It's the start of your self-awareness learning of who you are and how you kind of process stuff to navigate, navigate the world around us. And of course, on top of that, cultural culture plays its mm -hmm. part, you, you know, but actually that's much more in the taking and not necessarily the making of a decision. Yeah. I mean, here's another thing, because, you know, you, you're assuming people are answering these questionnaires honestly and, and to be fair you know having done the beam questions I, I think there's a degree of ambiguity in them where you wouldn't know that there was a design you know designated right answer but Correct. I would suspect you'll get people lying about their preferences or maybe exaggerating their preferences in line with what they would think a financial advisor would want to see or hear is, is mm. that ever an issue because you know someone might say they're fiscally very responsible or ambitious and secretly be you know spending big money sending dogecoin to the moon you know you never know what someone's doing <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah. you know and also what, what how about the person's mindset when they fill in the test because you've got you know someone might have just finished a big meeting or having a big day of work and they do this in their lunch break versus someone who's been sat on the couch for three hours and has a family bag of crisps that they totally aren't going to eat all of but will um you know yeah. what's the difference the you, so we always say to people you should always complete so never complete the, the beam app or the beam go through the beam experience you know, whilst you're in uh, an advisor's office, you should always do it well in advance. When your brain clear, is clear, you're not in the, the zone thinking about money. You know, you're just, you know, you're, you're sat down on the couch with a bag of crisps, family bag, of course, which I would finish. I mean, come on, who would <laughs> Yeah, I would. I um, think everyone would. <laughs> of course <laughs> they would. 
especially if there's a new spicy Watsits, which are just like amazing. Um, <laughs> so every, so you sit, when you're in that when you're in that frame of mind, open up the app and just engage with the app. Don't mm-hmm. don't don't overthink it. That's that's always our advice, and it seems to work. So it's worked so far. Um, but you need we you do need to be conscious of the fact that when people engage with the app, we want them to be honest. We, we don't, and, and, and the game, you're right, it's been designed on purpose using gamification principles to kind of present an ambiguity that people go, I have no idea how to game the system here. I have no idea what, the, what, what I'm supposed to do. Therefore, I can't go, I know how, I know how to get the best score. They, mm-hmm. they have no idea. The way the algorithm is built, they'll never have an idea. Even if they play it several times, they'll never figure out, they shouldn't figure out how to kind of game the system, if you like. But your point is a is an important one and raises a, a bigger a bigger question, and it's around the, the the principles of subjective and objective understanding of you and your and, and how you go through life. So a typical risk questionnaire that the industry is familiar with is predominantly subjective. Mm-hmm. What would you do if this investment fell? Would your friends describe you as a risk taker? They're all kind of they're subjective. Whereas what the BMAP is trying to do is bring a huge degree of objectivity to the table that says, no, I'm not going to ask you to predict anything. I'm going to ask you to make a decision right now. Mm-hmm. And when you overlay what we've built within BEAM with a classic, which we and we do this with at BIQ anyway, we have an entire behavioral risk system. Um, and if you overlay that with a classic psychometric, the difference between what people think they'll do and what they actually do in the game is incredible. It's revealing because we often get people who have, you know, on a scale of naught to 100, and like a, I think our average is a 24 point gap between one and the other. That's the difference between kind of a, a more, so think of the numbers. That's a, if, if there were a 50 on an attitude to risk questionnaire, minus 24 is actually where they should be. They right. think they're 50, but they're not. And, and that creates a whole world of problem for financial planners who don't factor that in. Because what happens, I've had this experience firsthand several times, is the markets fall and the client goes, this feels horrible, therefore I need to do something about it. And the ATR wouldn't have picked up the feeling part of it at all, whereas the behavioral games do. So when you, so we say with our behavioral risk score, having a view of who they think they are and how they really, who they really are gives you everything you need to have that proper grown-up conversation and allows them not to gain the system, but to be completely human and be honest with us. Yeah, I've actually got a really related question to that. And I, I think you're right. There's that huge difference between what you think you are and what you actually are. And, and you know, I think data and APIs and let's say open banking, right, could, could be huge for this because, you know, again, someone might report that they're being sensible with their money, but then if you break <laughs> down their expenditures, it might show that, you know, they're spending 300 quid a night on a, you know, on a big night out quite regularly, mm-hmm. you know, or, or you might even find they're neglecting the payoff debt, which is just mounting up, but they might not disclose that. So do you think, yeah. you know, the future of, of things like Beam and the future of behavioral finance in advice and wealth management is actually to have better data and, you know, proper understanding? Is, is it feasible we can get sufficient data to assess someone's character properly? Yeah, I think you're, you've hit the nail on the head and it's absolutely on the roadmap of, of BIQ going forward. How can we bring in other data sources that actually create a, an evidence base for us that we can go, go forward on? Because actually it's only then, and, and, and it's, so let me finish that sentence. It's sure. only then, it's only at that point 
um, when we have data like that, that we can nudge people correctly. You know, so I'm a big advocate of nudge as a, as a concept, you know, nudging people into an action or nudging them out of an action. But actually it's not about that. It's about intelligently nudging people at the right time with the right nudge. And, and we can do that through Beam, or, you know, with a Beam. We, we, we don't do it yet through Beam, but we could because of the behavioral data that we have. But actually you're right. If I know that someone is, you know, has issues with spending and they are a spender, um, and then I can look at all of their banking data, which affirms that it's great because I'm not just taking their word for it now. I have evidence that shows me that they are. Equally, if somebody says, oh, I'm not a spender. No, I save all my money. And then you can analyze the bank details and realize that on every week they're buying something on Amazon or, or, or whatever. You know then that there's a nudge, that there's an intervention can be had to help them with that particular behavioral trait. So the more data you can have, the more factual evidence-based data you can have, the richer the, the way you can engage with people to kind of help people with their behavioral tendencies. McNeil, I'm afraid that's all we've got time for. But look, thank you for joining me. That was that was really fascinating. Well, and, you know, I, I know tech can seem detached from human life when you look at it in, you know, in vague terms, but it's, it's really not the case. And it's great to show, you know, how tech can help us, you know, understand our humanity better. Hopefully that's not yeah. too grandiose, Neil, but I mean, it's quite nice that. Um, look, yeah. thank you. Um, and thank you also to Welcome. everyone who's listened in. Do join me for the sixth and final episode of this series, where I'll be joined by the brilliant Bijna Dasani, MBE, for a conversation on how technology is impacting diversity and inclusion within financial services and beyond. Thank <laughs> you.